Welcome back everyone. Today we have Elle and we're going to have a, a nice chat. The first subject we're talking about is um, I've stopped studying now so what's next or you know who am I after I stop studying. So tell me we'll have a little bit of a chat beforehand. Tell me about um, studying throughout your life and what you think that does. Yeah so I mean for me Education's always been really important. I grew up in a one, you know, a single parent family, ethnic. So the idea of higher education is always the end goal. It's yeah. the end game. Mm -hmm. So when you're in preschool, primary school, you know that that's what is expected to you know of you and what you need to aim for. So that kind of sets up your self worth. Mm. So for me personally, you know, you go through kindergarten, primary school, you're going through that accessible, you know you are what your achievements are you're good at sport mm. Mm. or you're good at maths or you're good at history or this person's a creative and that puts you in a box almost instantly for what you're going to achieve or what your potential is going to be later on which i think is deeply problematic yes but then you go into high school and the game changes but it gets more serious mm. so you're still in those categories but it almost becomes this do or die situation. You're either going to be really good academically, get your ATAR, go to university, and then that's all you think about. Mm. So, I mean, personally for me, I wasn't really great ac academically when I was in primary school. I think I was just allowed to have a childhood, you know, be creative, do sports, do whatever I wanted, and then got into high school and was like, holy crap, like <laughs> I'm now on my own. Yeah. I have to make new friends. I have to find out what I'm good at. Tell, tell me what subjects um, you're good at in high school. Um, languages. Yeah? Yeah. What languages? So I did Italian, French, and modern Greek and modern Greek extension. Um, nice. That was kind of like where I knew I sort of wanted to end up. It's not where I ended up. Yeah. But that sort of sets the basis of, okay, this is what I'm good at. I'm going to go do languages. Yeah. I want to travel. And you mm. get this grand idea of what your passion project is going to be for the rest of your life. But then for me, I was also really good at sciences, terrible at maths, great at sciences. Mm. I was just curious about the world. Yeah, But yeah. I didn't know that at that point. All yeah. I knew was, okay, this is what I'm going to put all my energy into because this is what's going to get me to university. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting for me to navigate because... It wasn't until you get to that point where you do have to do your subject selections that you have to think back and say, what is important to me? What do I want to become? Mm. And up until maybe year 10, I was very adamant on going into the travel industry, not going to university. I want to travel. I want to experience the world. Not did, realizing that it was just a dead end sort of road for me at that point. Because, did you have an influence, sir? Do you think? Um, I did, 100%. Mm. I had a friend of mine who was about seven yeah, seven, eight years older than me. Mm. And she was like my role model. She was the sister that I sort of never got to have. Uh -huh. So for me, I emulated a lot of her passions and I saw what, what she was doing and what she was enjoying. Mm. And because she shares the same enthusiasm about me when, you know, I've got this new subject or topic that I'm learning about, I am on board. Yeah, I've drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. I'm preaching it to the world. This is my thing. <laughs> yeah. So you get into that habit where, you know, she was in that, you know, working in travel and she was really passionate about it. And I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. You want to, yeah. This is making her happy. This will make me happy, clearly, without actually evaluating what I think my that's what were. happens when we're, we're, we're very young in high school. I mean, I wanted to be a music teacher because I loved my music teacher. Yeah. I think it was just her personality. I mean, she didn't wear a bra or was the same. <laughs> she should have been, but um, <laughs> she definitely should have been. <laughs> But I didn't, you know, I didn't go anywhere near becoming a music teacher. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's just the people around us that we're like, oh, wow. And we don't actually, given the pressure that's on you in high school now yeah. and what you have to sort of aim and achieve to get into a good university, we don't have enough influences coming in and telling us actually what are the jobs available. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, for me... The, the change point for me was one of my teachers who also became my mentor pulled me aside and she was like, pull your finger out. Like, yep. you're better than this. Because I, I was flying through high school. I was, I don't have to try. I'm doing mm. subjects I'm good at. I never study. 
it was just I had learnt to survive on whatever my natural talent was or whatever uh-huh. I, my affinity was, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and she put everything in perspective and she's like, pull your finger out. You can do better than this. Um, go to university. Like there's a whole other world that you're not thinking about. You're smart. You know, you're good with mm. people. There's other things that you can do and go and do. Mm. And because I, I respected her, I mean, now she's passed away, but has she's influenced my entire life in the sense that mm. she was always that person that I wanted to make proud right. because she was the first person who challenged me. Yes. Well, the first person who took that interest in you. To, yeah. yeah. And for me, I do tend to have that if someone has the courage and I guess the interest to come up to me and say, hey, you're, you're not doing this right. Or maybe you need to consider something else. I really respect that because you don't get these people anymore. No one, no, no one puts that time in. And can we just do that? Can we do a shout out to millennials about that? Because a lot, I've done that a lot. And sometimes I'll get people who think that I'm, I'm just anti-millennials or picking on millennials or all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of like, no, if people actually care enough to try and help you, then that's very different to people who don't care don't say anything that because they don't care right they, they're yeah. not going to waste their time on you people who actually take it that time to to understand you and want to help you yeah they care about you they're trying you know you don't necessarily have to take their advice but you've definitely got to know who's got your interests at heart and who hasn't a hundred percent and i think we kind of have this attitude that you want to label people as you know antagonizers you know if they if they say something that that's a criticism mm. instead of framing it and viewing it as, as feedback and as something that you can implement to make yourself better. Mm. You say, well, you know, I've been doing things fine until you came along, but it, the reality is no one's actually told you that you've yeah. been flying by the seam of your pants and you could be better. You yeah. just assume that you are that final end game. Well, cause yourself. what, what she really did, saw, she saw something in you, you weren't seeing in yourself. Correct. That's what it is sometimes. And it's not, it's funny, isn't it? Like we take a lot of things as criticism that sort of, it's not criticism. It just sort of seems like yeah. it is. Cause what do you mean? Is there something wrong with me now? If I should be doing something different and none of us are any good at taking criticism. So don't worry about <laughs> that. That's not a, that's not an age group. <laughs> that's just a human being. Yeah. And I, I believe that it's also this idea of, you know, just perfection. You know, we're almost, we're single-minded to a point of recklessness these days. Mm. And we have one single goal. Yes. And it's it's an immediate, it's a it's an instant gratification thing. So, you know, even university or even education mm. becomes an instant gratification. Yes. Because this is what's going to make you valuable now. It's it's how you're measuring yourself. Correct. Yes. So even just getting um, assessments done, you're like, yes, got a HD. I'm amazing. Or, you know, you do really bad at something, you automatically pull yourself out of the race. And it's so structured. Yeah. It's so structured. Um, your whole life, you you have all this structure around you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into university. The structure is still there, but not the same. Yeah. How did that hit you at first? Uh, I struggled because I wanted to do everything. So <laughs> yeah. my problem generally in life is that I want to do everything. Yeah. There's like a Sylvia Plath quote about wanting to, you know, experience all the colors, shades and variations of life, but I'm horribly limited. And that is the most poignant quote I've ever heard in my entire life. Yes. Um, and I try not to think about what happened to her because it's really depressing. She also <laughs> talked about the fig tree, yeah. which I give, I talk about that in another podcast, you know? Oh my God. We, I mean, yeah. the fig tree has a yeah. huge significance for me. We'll go right. into that later on. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. You know, you go into this very structured, like you said, environment where you have a handful of options. Mm. You go into university and you're like, holy crap. Mm. Like I can do absolutely anything. I've got my foot in the door. And that's the thing no one tells you, get your foot in the door. Yeah. Once you're in, then you can move around. Yes. You can try absolutely anything. Mm. You can be anything if you're willing to work hard for it. Mm. But up until that point, you're saying I'm working hard for this end goal that's already been prescribed to me Mm. and then you get into university and I was like oh my god well I'm gonna do sciences because it sounds great and I was good at it in high school and clearly this is what I want to do and Mm. I found out it took me two years to actually find out that 
no, you are a humanities person. You you <laughs> love learning about the world yeah. on a greater scale. You love influencing people. You love working with people. You love you people. S- you yeah. love people. Mm. You know, and it took a whole year of working in a lab mm. in neuroscience research and being in a dark room with rats the whole day <laughs> for like eight, nine hours and saying, I'm going crazy. Yeah. Like, this is not me. Like, I am hanging around my, my barista way too long mm. because I'm starved of human interaction. And mm. that's when I decided to change and, and go back into the social sciences because, mm. A, I was excelling really well in that area, which is also another trap. Excelling doesn't necessarily mean that that's... Yeah, that that's, that's your it. destination. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean that you can't excel at something else that you haven't tried. Exactly. And mm. I think when you're very early on, when you go into university because you have that much freedom and you're either in a really structured program or you have way too much flexibility. Yes. And you don't, there's no in between. So you either fall into the trap that you do absolutely everything with no end in sight. Yeah. Or you do something, complete it for four years, realize Hmm. this was the biggest waste of my time. But in a way, I think that's personality driven. Yes. I've always, I mean, I, you know, because I'm a marketer, I use a marketer as an example because I always like to think there's sort of, I sum it up as two types of people. You have your accountant or your marketer. Mm. And your marketer wants it to be different every day mm. and will have a go at anything. I'd say you've got to be willing to stuff an envelope or go and talk to the prime minister. You know, you've got to be, yeah. able, to be able to do anything. An accountant has structure and rules and laws and follows um, the same sort of modeling every day. And that's they're way more comfortable with that that type of person who likes that structure, yeah. likes to really know it inside out and continually do something that they know. They're personality types. I mean, there's yeah. a lot in between, don't get me wrong, um, and around that. Yeah. But fundamentally, I think we don't teach kids that or we don't find that out when they're at school. Yeah. Are you someone who, you know, <laughs> likes likes change or not? Yeah. <laughs> and that will help you in your career. Yeah. Because you want... You want different things and if you're in humanities I think also for education at uni it's the only time in your life you get to do that yeah you get those years where it's just for you to learn and to discover yourself and learn new things yeah without you know necessarily having to go nine to five to work and all the rest of it yeah and I think for me I was glad that I was given that freedom but Mm. I think you also have the other basket of people that are still doing what their parents are telling them or still doing something that someone else has told them to do. And I think that is so damaging because then you get down the track and realize I haven't been living my own life. But I I was lucky in the sense that I got to make those mistakes, even if it took, you know, five years for me to finish my arts degree when I did finish it. Yeah. But by the end of it, I knew what I didn't want to do. Yeah. And that's better than where you were at. Well, you you learned who you were. Yeah. More so who you were. Yeah. And that's really, I think that's really, really important. But to go back on the, the scheduling point that you said, mm. you know, your whole life is structured. Mm. Everything that you do is scheduled. Mm. It's other people scheduling your life until university. Mm. Then you're scheduling your own life. Yeah. And that's where you can fall off the wagon. Like I know for me, the first years of uni were some of the hardest of my entire life. I would not go back, back and do those again. Mm. I'm glad they're out of the way. But... Coming out of it, I've been able to kind of pop my head out a little bit from my own Mm. idea of my self-worth and and what I'm doing. I mean, I'm still affected by it, Mm. but I've been able to see what my priorities are. And I think you get to a point with university where you don't know what your priorities are. Your priorities are getting a degree and getting out. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't set you up for your career that doesn't set you up for managing the rest of your life and understanding that the rest of your life isn't, you know, HDs and credits and passes. It's, it's people, it's the relationships that you build and it's the life that you are navigating day to day outside of your job. It's absolutely people. Yeah. Like for me, I think the, I didn't get to go to university when I was younger. I I went later, but realistically what the, the key at university is the relationships you make. And especially if you're lucky to go to a good university because the network you're going to have. Yeah. The network you're going to have then. And if you want to increase your network, do your master somewhere else. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? But the network of people that you've developed, you know, and created. Yeah. And if you get good at building that network, 
then you're going to be right. You know, it's going to give you a lot of advantages. Yeah. But I think if you're coming out of the school system, like you're saying, that's so structured and it's all about you, and you've got to achieve this and you've got to achieve that, unless you're a people person, yeah. are you even considering anyone else? You really aren't. You're not. You know what I you're mean? Not. You're not. You're still just focused on what you have to do. Whereas maybe I'll send this out to everyone who's at university. <laughs> make it a rule that you've got to have make five new friends a year or something. Yeah. And really put that down as one of your jobs yeah. to do, which means you have to see them every month or something. Yeah. Like, you know, to develop those networks is just not like, okay, I've, made, I've, I've met someone. You've got to work at it. Yeah. For some people it's natural. For some it's not. Yeah. And I think a big issue is that, I think a lot of people are afraid of being vulnerable or mm. showing a little bit more depth in who they are. Mm. So you go with this very superficial, this is who I am, these are my achievements, this is what I want you to know me by. But you never get to scratch the surface. Do you think, this is an interesting subject I think for me, do you think people see you as you see yourself? No, not at all. How, tell me how you think they see you. Uh, I think people see that I am super driven and that I do a lot and that I'm always on and that I have a lot of energy. And I mean, the one thing they're right about is that I do love people and I am mm. a happy, smiley person uh -huh. and I'm passionate about everything that I do. And that is that is 100% mm. correct. But they just look at me as this like perfectly like organized human being who has it all going who on. has it all going on mm -hmm. and I actually had a friend um who we both know who's very successful um mm -hmm. turn around to me and say you know you you live the most fulfilling life of any of anyone that I know <laughs> and I paused in that moment and I looked I turned around to a friend of mine and they were all like that is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard anyone say about someone and I said that is amazing, but you have no idea. Yeah, but that's not the case. That's not the case. I'm At that point, I was eating my ice cream the reverse way around. I took a chunk at the bottom of my cone and I said, this is me living dangerously right now. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and I was so like, So radical. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> look at me, change maker. <laughs> and he just couldn't understand it. He's like, oh, but every time I check Instagram and Facebook, you're somewhere else in the world and something's going on. And I'm saying... Okay, cool, but you're not seeing me when I'm going home. Yeah. And the thing that I've been looking forward to is getting under a blanket and holding mm. onto it for dear life and saying, please give me an extra 12 hours here. Yeah. Please tell me I don't need to get up and do that all over again in five to six hours. Mm. <laughs> because it is exhausting. Like being me is hard work, but I think being but us is hard work. Yeah, as in being a millennial yeah. is hard work. Who's setting the pace? we're doing it to ourselves i think there's expectations that we take as a literal fact and and who are the expectations coming from and what are they the media yeah social media in particular mm -hmm. but i feel that's self-driven because mm -hmm. we are feeding the monster yes we're saying we need to curate our lives online in the most perfect way possible yes and then some other poor soddy seeing it on the other side and saying, oh, look, she's got everything. I need to aspire to that. I need to be doing my master's full time and juggling three jobs and still looking like I've, you know, just walked out of the shower and I'm freshened up and mm. still love people at the end of the day mm. and maintain really great, a really great social life and still go clubbing and live my 20s out, you know, on speed, basically. Who's a, who's a female role model? For you and for your generation? For my generation, I have no idea. For me so do personally. You see, do you see yourself as very different to your generation? I do. So I feel like I have a little bit of a disconnect. Uh -huh. More in the sense of who I socialize with. Uh -huh. um, I think I grew, I grew up in a way where everyone in my family was almost 20 years older than me. Right. So I've always had to relate with people that were outside my generation. So when I've had to be in a situation where I socialize with people of my own age, I'm sometimes completely overwhelmed because they have no chill. <laughs> There's no chill. Everyone is highly strung. Yeah. Everyone wants everything their own way and negotiating. That's not a concept that people know how to do or at least communicating in a way that's healthy. You just reminded me of 
we did a photo shoot once at um at the university and we had student ambassadors who came in for the photo shoot one day and it was i don't know five or six of them yeah and it was it was very sort of high strung highly strung in a way it was sort of just quite serious and okay yes should i walk here or i'll do this and here's the shoot right and we do the shoot and and half an hour later i had an a photo shoot with Indigenous students and my god it was so different it was so different because they were so happy and they were having so much fun and they were taking the piss out of each other and it was yeah. just and it also made me uh, one of the girls had told me she grew up in Dubbo and I'm like I grew up in Dubbo like I'd almost forgotten I'm like what's happened to my life and I've forgotten where I grew up <laughs> You know, for a while or yeah. something. But it like the the difference, it was like the eastern suburbs kids, yeah. it sort of seemed like. And then the country kids. And not all of them were necessarily from the country, but yeah. The the feel, the vibe. Yeah. I was like I was I was thinking they need to get the eastern suburbs kids need to get some of that vibe. Just to relax and have fun and I, you know, just mucking around yeah. and, and being young, being young and enjoying it. And it was it was so, such a contrast. And when you're saying that it, it's quite heavy and it's quite serious and everyone's trying to save the world. Yeah. And I think that fundamentally comes back to trying to, you're only in that state when you're not happy when you, with yourself. Yeah. When you, you don't think that you're where you need to be. And that comes back to probably those expectations. Yeah. Because if the expectations on you are lower, because I keep saying this is my generation, weren't very many expectations on us, you know. Maybe you'll get married or get a job, <laughs> pretty much. Right? Like that was it, sort yeah. of like low expectations. So everything we achieved was like, wow, look at that. We did this. And so we sort of got proud of ourselves. Yeah. But for your generation, we've put so many expectations on you. Yeah. And that this, and so we're like, well, here's the expectations. They're all up here. It's a steep curve. Like it's, yeah. I, I don't even think there's, there's a gentle curve at all. It just goes straight up or down. And everyone's going to do exactly the same. Yeah. It goes back to, we're not even letting people be unique anymore. No. You know, to be themselves or find themselves. It's sort of like. What's the things that you've got to do? You've got to get your degree. I mean, really, you know, it'd be ideal to have the masters as well. Like it's yeah. not just enough to, you know, personally I want people to go and work first before they do their masters. I'll just say that. But <laughs> you've got to get – and then you've got to have a house and then you've got to, have, you know. Yeah. Weirdly, even though it's 2019, we're still feeling like, I mean, you've got to have your, your family and get married and have kids and – dog in a yeah. house it's a, a checklist it's a checklist yeah. it's like going to the supermarket except you're doing that with life yeah but it works so well for the generation before because they're all still married aren't they and yeah. They're all still... <laughs> yeah yeah none of them lost their jobs or anything like oh. that did they and it's oh. quite shocking and I, it's funny because then you go into an environment like university mm. and when you are in that little elite cluster you almost it's a pressure cooker it's a pressure cooker of amazing you know, and, mm. and it, yes, you, you either thrive in that environment mm. and you are given the opportunities or you're the outlier who really struggles mm. and doesn't survive. Mm. And some of those people do, they, they get out and they find their way, mm. but majority still live in that limbo land. Mm. And I see it now. I mean, me personally loved studying. And yeah. for me, because I'm one of those people where I, I want to be learning all the time. Like I, I need some crazy fun fact to yeah. you know make my day or mm. I love I love having a teacher. I love meeting those people like we, we spoke earlier about and I've realized how beneficial they've been to me. Mm. Where you they inspire you. Yeah, and you can continue to learn off them. Yeah, and they inspire you to feel that you that you're alive, but also to wanna do more, to see more to get out of that classroom. So you're curious. I'm super curious. Yes, that's great. Yeah. I mean, and I think people, if we're all curious, we're in a good place. Like, the, yeah. you know, it's it's good to, because then you ask those extra questions. Yeah. You don't just take it as is. Yeah. You ask those extra questions. And you have to. Yeah. But you have to be brave to ask those questions as well because yeah. some people have that autonomy, mm. you know, scheduled out of them. 
Yes. And they, they don't know. They don't know what that is. I mean, I've, I've ended up, I think probably about two years ago, I had this moment where I realized I was completely running myself into the ground with no aim. Like it was just, I'm doing things for the sake of doing things. Have you unpicked that? Yes. As of the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you worked out why you do that? Yeah. To stay busy from the fact of thinking about what my priorities are and what my values are and who I am because I, it's a hard, it's hard work thinking about so you're doing it for, yourself. Are you doing it for approval and validation? I think you do. Yeah. So you add all those things on as a, yep. as a people pleaser here, yep. I can sort of, I could relate to that. I, you know, I can't not have things that I'm working on. Otherwise who am I? Or, yep. you know, you feel like a failure or you've got to be doing something. And that's exactly it. Um, I was with a friend who is now job seeking again and she's, she's incredible. She's done her master's. I've done my master's. Mm. And I just sat down with her and I don't know what came over me, but I was, I was like, this is a, a moment that I, that I need to embrace. And I turned around to her and I'm like, do you feel like you just have no purpose when you're not studying or learning? Like mm. who? She's like, yes. She's like, I've been feeling like, who am I? And what am I doing? I'm like, okay, thank God. Not just me. Um, and is that... Is it like there's there's two sides to that because it can be because you're actually interested and you want to learn and yeah. you have that anyhow, but you can sort of do that in life generally. Yeah. But is it because of the pr- pressure from society? It, it's sort of who am I like? You know, there's all sorts of boxes out there for women at the moment and the boxes are changing. Yeah. So it sort of used to be, you know, married with kids married no kids not married or whatever and society sort of really respected the woman who was married with kids yes didn't respect any others but now i don't think they respect anyone no okay and that's really hard if you're a woman so what's your aim you you know what i mean who do we who do we look up to we actually don't look up to anyone anymore we've taken that away from ourselves yeah and so yeah we want people to look look up to us and how do we how do we do that when when we're not looking up to them? Yeah. Or, or we're not looking up to anyone going, oh well they they're doing that great. I can I can be that person. Yeah. It's because we've leveled the playing field as well. Like it's no longer about, you know, we go into this concept of um, blind recruiting and not, you know, looking at people's ages and genders and whatever. Mm. So you put everyone on the same playing field. Yes. No matter who they are, mm. but everyone's obviously starting at different different levels mm-hmm. but they're still aiming for the exact same thing it's yeah. like this nirvana that doesn't exist yes because it actually comes from yourself um and yes. it happened today i mean i was at water polo training and me and another girl were helping out with the new uh, the new we call them booties so they're just starting out in the sport and booties, booties yeah for boot camp <laughs> oh okay right okay so, we, we I was were, thinking booty. <laughs> I mean, you build that up after yeah. a while. <laughs> we were both in line to take a shot and we turned, she's like, oh yeah, no pressure at all. You know, we're mm. the ones that are experienced. Now we need to have yeah. the perfect shot. It yeah. needs to be hard, precise. Yeah. And it's in front of 30, 40 people yeah. that are waiting on us to show them what the goal the is. Yeah. yeah. This is what it. you're going to be if you train yeah. hard enough or yeah. if you're good enough. And I just had that moment where I was like, oh my God, this applies to every single moment of my life where it's like, okay, so I need to now demonstrate on how to be a model citizen. So what happens if you miss? Well, I mean, for me personally, I mull over it. But if you're really training someone, yeah. if you're really teaching someone. Teach them how to fail. Yes. Show them that sometimes we miss. Yeah. Because if, if you never miss or, you know, if yeah. they think that I can only ever be good if I never miss at anything, yeah, then, and that's the problem is that's the, that's what we've put on everyone yeah. is that we expect everyone to be perfect. Yet we don't know anyone who is. Yeah. We've never met them. We can't refer to them. We can't learn off them. No. Because we don't know anyone who's perfect. I absolutely not. I am, um, for me, two years ago. I had this massive shift in my life and I needed to do something with my brain power so uh-huh. that I don't think about what was going on. Uh-huh. And that was to become a referee in yeah. football. So soccer or football? Soccer. Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, football, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was perhaps the most insane thing I've done in my entire life, <laughs> but probably the greatest lesson of my life. 
Yeah. Um, so because I was in my early 20s, I went in, I was, I was athletic, I was keen, I loved studying. So learning the laws of the game for me was just like, yeah. yes, this is Something amazing. Something else to learn. <laughs> Nerding out. Yeah. And I get out there in my first game and because of my age, they were saying, you know, we're going to give you a senior men's game. <laughs> and oh my God, I've never been so terrified in my entire life. <laughs> And wow. I think you do feel that. You feel that when you're going for your HSC. Yeah. You feel that maybe for a final exam, but it lasts only for, you mm. know, maybe a day. Yes. But when you're on the field, mm. you, I mean, it is physically challenging, mentally challenging, but you are so exposed. Yes. Because if you're going to mess up, yeah. there's a hundred people there that are going to tell you that you're terrible. Even if you do the right thing, yeah. you have a hundred people that are going to tell you that you're crap, mm. the ref's blind, yep. um, or that you don't belong there, especially when you're a woman. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I I mean, I was very persistent and I said, this is not going to get me. I know what I'm doing. I love the sport. I'm here to give it back to the sport. But this is also helping me fight my fear of confrontation because mm-hmm. I, 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 I love being with people and I love the result of confrontation. I think confrontation sometimes gets you to a better place than what you were when you don't mm. say what's really happening. Mm. But personally, I hated feeling that, yeah. that vulnerable because you don't. You know, you, you build up all these accolades and who you are and everyone thinks you're amazing, but no one actually gets inside. Yeah. So when you're on that field, you're running, you've been running for 89 minutes mm. and you've got this 35-year-old man who is losing his mind and he's coming up to you. Wow. And you don't know if he's going to punch you out mm. or if you're going to be able to manage that, manage yeah. his anger. You have that switch where it's just you. Yeah. It's yeah. fight or flight. You're not going to run off the field. No. So you have to sit there and face it. Or face whatever punch it is. In the stomach or punch him in the like... stomach. <laughs> and then lose your license and yeah, never yeah. again. No. But for me, that year was absolutely terrifying. And mm. I kept moving up the ranks, which was... I mean, it was great because it was, again, validating that I was working hard for something and that I was being recognized yeah. for it, which is great. But you get hammered more than you get praised yes. as a referee. Yeah. So that teaches you a lot in terms of your what your priorities are, mm. um, why you're doing what you're doing. And for me, that taught me to have a why, to always have a why. Um, and then you could take it, though, as well, right? Yeah. You could go, you, you know that... In that situation, they're not going to love you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good thing is as you become a leader, and that's sort of a leadership role definitely anyhow, isn't it, yep. refereeing, is that there will always be people who don't like you. Yeah. There's, you know, not everyone will like you, but it's been able to get that respect. Yes. It's been able to stand on that field, know you know what you're doing and, and still direct the game and all the rest of it. Yeah. And get that respect even though someone in the corner is hating you for a decision you made or, or thinks that they could have done it better than you or yeah. anything like that. And it's a metaphor for life. Yes. You're always going to have the one know-it-all in the corner who yeah. probably knows nothing about what you do but is the first one to criticise you about mm. how you do things. But I think we're also those people. Absolutely. But the difference is you you stepped on the field to do it. Yeah. So it was uncomfortable. Completely uncomfortable, mm. but so worth worthwhile mm. in terms of growth. So I want, I want to ask you about curating your life. Yeah. Because we talked a little bit about this before, how nowadays, I think for my generation, Generation X growing up without the internet, we were... We experienced a time when we didn't have all this information coming in and people everywhere judging us and we didn't have to put ourselves out there to be judged and all the rest of it. So when the internet came and all that happened, we were still able to curate our life a little bit easier because we knew what it was like before. Yeah. You know, we knew genuine friends and, and we knew what where we got joy, I suppose. But your generation's always had it. Yeah. Really always had it around and and so I don't think you've had the chance to learn how to curate your life. I almost feel like it's something we need to teach people now. Yeah. It's sort of like because there's so much bullshit information coming in. Yeah. Like I'm even starting to think podcasts are popular because they're at, it's reality, whereas reality shows have gone so yeah. far 
that they're so unreal yeah. that people are looking for some other, just give me something real, people, is yeah. what they're looking for. And that's why I feel people are heading towards things that are really extreme or really like things that impact you. Mm. whether it's violence or sex or yeah. whatever, it's people are craving something that feels like it's raw and real. Mm. Like it's it's not on screen. No. It's happening, which yeah. is really dangerous because it means that you're then, you're becoming a lot more reckless to feel like you're having an experience. Yeah. Or you feel like, because you feel like experiences now, the only value are, are they shareable? Yes, yes. Can I share this? Yes. Is it worth traveling to this location if I have no cell service? <laughs> you know and that is ridiculous yeah it's absolutely ridiculous yes but yes curating i mean we're curating our lives but in a really so who do you let in who you do don't we... differentiate who do we let in like because if you look at like all the influences on instagram or something yeah. like that you know the different sort of categories i actually the funny thing is there's no categories really for the philosopher type. No. You know, or people who are looking at the world bigger picture wise and, you know, like yeah. I keep saying things like, why do we end up with so many asshole leaders around the world? What happened? <laughs> you know, who's thinking about that? Why have we got so many psychopaths running this Because it's a spectacle. Yeah. <laughs> are we that desperate for entertainment or Apparently. something? <laughs> what happened to us? But who's thinking big, you know, instead of just thinking, what am I wearing today or what? Yeah or you know how do I well we ignore them yeah you know we yes that's a very good point they're the outliers yes so you're not a you're not a person of authority yeah you are I don't know you're loopy or you're crazy or yes well who is who is a person of authority I think anyone is Oh, that's but that, but we but we believe that they are because they present themselves in that way. You know, we live in the generation of mm. branding and marketing, and they, what is your personal brand? Yes. What is your story? Yeah. And people become fixated so much on what their story is rather than who they actually are. You know, mm. we talk about experiences not defining us but helping us grow. But what we are doing is we're using those things to define us. We use our background to define us, our diversity to define us, or mm. lack thereof. Mm. our you know what our salary is or what part of Sydney we come from for example yeah and I, I keep saying that these gener- generation Y and Z are becoming commodities yeah um like all the same all the same there's not um and maybe there is it's quite interesting like it it's funny, you just made me think that when I was younger, you'd have, oh, God, I'm trying to remember the names of them, but you'd have your goths and your punks and your, what were the ones with the pointy shoes called? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you had all, oh, all different types of groups of people. Yeah, your you, jocks, like mean girls. Jocks, yeah. yeah and I was yeah. probably, like, in the daggy group. I'm not sure where it was. <laughs> Mine. My sister was definitely a punk. Yeah. But people were allowed to be different. Yeah. They are allowed to fit in different groups and... And, you know, they're all just sort of finding their own way and who they are. But as long as you still fit within a group. Yeah. But are there groups like that now? It's quite interesting. Like, it's everyone seems to be the same. We're all... Yeah. We're all... Um, or we're heading towards this fluidity of self, like this undefined category of being, which, I mean, there is some support for and there is... You know, a, a lot of people that say, well, you know, no, we still need categories and we still need people to be defined. And I see this a lot in the LGBTIQ community. Mm. You almost Everyone almost starts turning on themselves because, you know, now the new generation doesn't, didn't, I guess, doesn't have to fight as hard as the older generations did mm. to have to assert themselves. Mm. So they're just existing in this just other category of fluidity where they're saying, this is who I am and you have to accept it. Mm. no matter what it is and yeah. i also shouldn't have to tell you who i am yeah yeah um yeah, but yeah. i think that spreads out across across mm. life as well mm. you know we on one hand we don't want to be boxed in by who we are but mm. on the other hand we still want to be validated and recognized for who we are yes so how do you there's a big contradiction in that yeah I mean, absolutely i mean it, it's really interesting you have you watched i'm going to talk about tales of the city i haven't watched? no so it's it was um, I don't know when it first came out, but probably say twenty years ago. Yeah. And it's out again, but it's um and it's you know twenty years later. 
But what was interesting is there's a scene in it of gay men and they're all um, Gen X, right? And then one of the Gen X brings a gem, a millennial or as his date. Yeah. So he's in this dinner with all the Gen X. And they, being Gen X, were, you know, they were, they were just having fun but taking the piss, right? So they were saying stuff that came across as, I can't remember what they were saying now, but it, they for the Gen Y, they thought that they were being inappropriate and racist and the comments were derogatory or whatever. Yeah. And he had a go at them. And, and you know, and they just... And there's this real gap. They did it brilliantly, though. It's really, really worth watching. And I'm a horrendous storyteller at, repeat, <laughs> at repeating exactly what happened. So please go and watch it. But it's worth watching because they turned around to him and said, when I was your age, all my friends were dying. I wasn't going to parties. I was going to funerals. Yeah. Because of the AIDS epidemic, right? Yeah. And we've were, we were being locked up. We were fighting. You have no idea what we went through so you can live like you're living now. Yeah. But, and that was spot on, right? But but he was, um, I think he was, oh, he's mixed blood, Mexican, African-American, I'm not sure. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's sort of going. And they, he didn't say it then, but he went outside and he said, and they don't think that I know what it's like to have to fight for myself and be scared and, yeah. you know? So it was told brilliantly on both both sides, yeah. both sides. It's because we censor our storytelling. But I think also we don't, we've got to respect what came before. Yeah. If you don't respect what came before, they're not going to respect you. Yeah. And that's the big gap. Yeah. Is because the focus is all on achievement get these millennials to achieve and you're all focused on yourselves and where you've got to go and all the rest of it there's no space it's not that you because there's studies saying narcissism is up here and empathy is down right and that's what's happening that everyone's becoming completely focused on themselves and don't care about anyone else but i think and i've seen that absolutely see it but part of me is now wondering is that literally because there's no time to even consider anyone else? Yeah. Because where's the time? You can barely keep up with your own life and what you have to do and who you have to be and how you have to yeah. present yourself and what you have to keep up with just to feel like you're a decent human being, let alone then being able to go, okay, now I've got to understand these people as well. Yeah. <laughs> where's my time for that? Well, this is the thing that's the differentiation between being a good human and being good at humaning. You know what I did last night? <laughs> I have to tell you this because I'm quite proud of myself. <laughs> and it's funny when you do something that makes you you're proud of yourself because I think we rarely do that now. Yeah. Is we were walking back from um, having dinner and there was a woman on the bench. This is, you know, up in a nice suburb. Woman on the bench asl- fall, falling asleep, like practically passed out. Yeah. And at first I thought... I thought she was, I thought, I hope she hasn't died. Like, yeah. she didn't look good. Oh, she, no. looked, she looked pretty grey in the face, yeah. you know. <laughs> she was probably, I don't know, 40 or something, 45. And I stopped and my husband was with me and I thought, I'm not walking past. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want someone to walk past me if I was like that. And I stopped and I woke her up and she's like, oh, I'm falling asleep, aren't I? Like, she's very drunk. Yeah. And I'm like, where's your, you know. She was trying to find out where her husband was and obviously wasn't answering the phone or whatever. And I'm like, let's put you in an Uber. And I stayed with her the whole time and she just kept going, oh, you're so nice. You're my new best friend. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? You know? yeah. But we did. We stayed there the whole time, got an Uber, put her in an Uber and yeah. sent her home. And I was just like, you know, I just felt like, wow. I mean, it, it was... It's just the human thing to do, right? Yeah. But I think nowadays what we tend to do more is walk past and judge. Yes. We walk past and go, oh, that's disgusting, as if we've never been drunk and passed out somewhere in our life. Or, or we, that you know, it's an inconvenience, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and because we do that, because we walk past and judge, we're actually robbing ourselves of that feeling I now have. I actually like myself much more now because I stopped and did that. Yeah. How weird is that? You know, like you wouldn't, you don't sort of think that you can build, um, build up your own self-love by doing things like that. Yeah. 
that's how you can. You see someone that needs help, you go and help them. But the sad thing is that that's become the anomaly now. And that we have to recognize that as stepping outside of our own existence and saying, yeah, I'm giving myself a you know pat on the back because I did this because we don't do this anymore. But it's just, it made me feel good yeah. that I did it. And it's not, you know, I think... Um, we don't get the opportunity as well. It's almost like we're so yeah. busy fighting the person who's sitting next to us or yes. busy competing with them yes. rather than wanting to help them out. Yes. And I yes. think that's a huge thing for me now is like getting, you know, satisfaction out of being able to help someone or being able to say something that's going to make their day or about being able to lend a hand. You know, if someone needs to do something in their backyard, but they mm. need, you know, manpower. Yeah. Go and help. Go and help. And it also gets you out of whatever your rut or your schedule or your routine is. Because we have the Are You Okay Day, right? So yep. we, and to be honest, I thought, well, no one reached out to me. And no, no, I wasn't okay this week. But yeah, <laughs> but it's always the people that sit, I like you, like me, like yep. bubbly and happy that everyone thinks everything's all good. Yep. So we won't reach out to you. Yeah, You're the one that reached out to other people. But at the same time, did I reach out to anyone? No, whatever, because I was too busy lost in my own sooking or whatever. <laughs> but I think we sort of need to go beyond that. I think it's great that we have a day like that. But we need to look a bit deeper into people yep. and not just look at the social media, not just look at the facade, the, the, the whole image that everyone's portraying. Yep. This, is, this is who I am, this is where I live, this is where I go out, this is what I wear, this is, you know, yeah. all this bullshit, um, to, to really try and understand them, spend more time talking to them. Yeah. This is why we're having these conversations because we want to. And they're so important. I mean, I, after that thing that a friend said, I started doing a lot more real-time posts on Instagram. So I crashed my car a couple of weeks ago mm. and I was devastated because mm. I was like, oh, you idiot. Like why? Mm. And I spent the whole weekend mo like mulling about it. And I decided to do a video and say, guys, this happened. I've spent the last two days trying to think about getting over it, but I don't seem to be getting over it. <laughs> but this is just like a metaphor for everything else. Yeah. Like the second we reach a point of imperfection yeah. and it hurts us, we get stuck at that point. But the imperfection is the fun part. Yeah, it is the fun part. That's what you've got to laugh at. Yeah. Like, you've got to go. Like, I've been using using this microphone for the podcast for every one of my podcasts. It's only today I realised that I haven't actually. I've been using the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> but that's such a that's such a me thing, right? <laughs> that's such a me thing. It really is that I would do that. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's funny, right? Yeah. Like, we've got to laugh at ourselves a bit more. We've got to go, you're a meathead. But that's yeah. funny. Because there's not, nothing left if you're, if you're not doing that. I mean, we're used to laughing at everyone else's expense. And we don't really do it when it comes to ourselves. And I have this thing now where a friend of mine on the field, she's just such a great character. And the reason I like her is because she gives me crap on the field. Yeah. And she, I'll do something or I'll miss kick or I'll fall on the floor and she'll be like, you banana, get back up. Yeah. And I love that saying, you banana. Yeah. Banana. I don't know why. I think it's because it's not, of, not offensive. I've got a friend that called me a Muppet, which I thought was funny too. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And but, I love it. But I think the older I get, the more I, I take them all as compliments. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's quite funny in a way. I think it's all in the way you, you take these yeah. things. Yeah, and it's endearing. I mean, for me, that's now become something that I'm using in my everyday vocabulary because it's not aggressive. It's yeah. like it's like trying to say it's like trying to say bubbles when you're angry. Yeah, or like when yeah. I say buffhead, you know. Yeah, it's great. I mean, even even if you're trying to call someone an idiot and you call them buffhead, they're still gonna hopefully. I mean, I would laugh at it. I would say, "Oh, that just made my day. Thank you. Sorry, having a moment." But yeah. it's about being able to accept that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's where I'm at right now is being able to deal with these little, you know, flaws along the way, but mm. also being able to talk about them. Mm. And I did, it's funny you mentioned Are You Okay Day because I put up a post yesterday or the day before because I was working mm. for Are You Okay Day um, as part of like a dog therapy program. Mm. And I was in charge of the barbecue area and all of this and people were so horrible. <laughs> like was just, they were just so horrible. Like they just wanted food. They didn't want to wait. You know, you were the enemy. 
because you weren't giving them something that was free that they had to wait for yeah and you get into the point where you're like okay it's been a long week yeah you know just be nice people just be nice just be nice I, and it's not about, you know, I don't want someone to be like, congratulations, you're working for this event and you're giving, I don't care. Just treat them like you want to be treated. Treat people like you want to be treated. Exactly. And I sort of, I was wearing my Are You OK t-shirt and I was slumped. I had a, like a 10 minute break and I was slumped on the stairs and I rang up a friend and she just needed to have a vent. And I said to her, I'm like, I'm sitting on these steps and it's Are You OK Day and the irony is I'm not OK and no one's <laughs> asked me if I'm OK. <laughs> And this lady walks past and she caught she caught the end of my conversation. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Bye. But it was such a like, it was, it was one of those like comedy skit moments where you've just absolutely reached the bottom of your threshold yeah. of acceptability and human. And you're like, I yeah. just can't be this person that everyone wants me to be today. Like, yes. I need someone to hold me and tell me, are you okay? Yes. And let me talk about it. I don't need anything from them. I just need presence. Well, actually, I actually think people need that more than ever now. Yeah. People need someone just to come and hug them yeah. and hold them and, and, and not let them go. Yeah. And not even talk to them. Yeah. It's just like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to protect you. Don't worry. Yeah. You've got someone else taking responsibility for you for that moment. Yeah. I think we all need a bit more of that. We do because it feels like, you know, yes, people have families and friendships. And, you know, this is what we were saying earlier about, you know, at the end of the day, it's people. Yes. You know, people are the goal. Like, who are you surrounding yourself with? And it's something that I've had to really think about, you know, who who's there when I don't need them. Mm. But who's there when I need them? Yeah. And. Are they the same people that I am, yeah. you know, running running for or, you know, looking after? And it's quite difficult sometimes to sit back and say, oh, actually, it's probably only like two people. Yeah. And you've got, yeah. you know, 2,000 friends on Facebook. Yeah. Yes. And it's it's such a, I don't know, this confronting moment of realizing, you know, is this my worth? No, it's or not. Or is that? And it's not your worth, right? And it's not your worth. That's what it is, is. It takes effort to have friendships. It's like we were saying before. You actually have to, if you're going to schedule anything, schedule that. Yeah. Schedule time to build friendships because we're not doing that anymore. We're spending time with people and we're not really spending no. time with them because we've got our phones and all the rest of yeah. it. And we're not really paying attention. But but also schedule it. Like really, I do that. I sort of, you know, in my head I, I almost have a roster I I'll go and see friends every two weeks or something like that or catch up yeah. with them. And I, if I don't do it, it probably won't happen in, in some cases. Yeah. But I've never let that stop me. Yeah. Because somebody has to organize it. What's the difference if it's me or if, if it's them? Yeah. And sometimes just, they can't they can't do that themselves because yeah, whatever their situation it's just, is. It's just not their personality or something like that, yeah. right? Just do it anyhow. Yeah. Because you want to spend time with them. But you have to put effort into friendship. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. You have to keep making it happen and, and spend time with each other and, you know. Yeah. And, and it's got to be equal, though. Yeah. It's, you've got to get out of it what some, enough and they've got to get out of it enough. Yeah. And that's not every day it's equal. Yeah. Some days they get, take all your energy. Some days you take all their energy. Yeah. But overall it, it evens out. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you mentioned energy there and that is such an important thing because... It is emotional energy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have those people that do suck you drive energy yes. because, I mean, I'm a listener. I'm a really good listener mm. because I, I genuinely care about what's going on in other people's lives. Yeah. But I'm also really good at giving advice and not taking it myself. So I end up in this <laughs> situation where, you know, I'm giving all these energy to other, this energy to other people. Mm. And then I get to a point where I just have nothing left. you got to find the right person that fills you up. Yeah. And that's something that I've probably only realized over the last two, three months. Yeah, yeah. Because I've started doing a lot of yoga and just <laughs> scheduling time to switch off. Yeah. But it's it's reflection time for me. So you're starting to curate your life. You're trying yes. starting to go, okay, I really need that switch off time. And people keep telling us about that. Yeah. Um, like everyone's like oh no you've got to have to make time for mindfulness and all the rest of it for some people that's like absolutely other people are like what is this shit you know yeah everyone's different <laughs> interestingly i was at a funeral this week in at a catholic funeral and i'm not 
religious. But what I realized is the Catholic Church is sort of like the originators of mind. Well, they're not the originators, but they do a lot of mindfulness stuff. Yeah. Because the prayers are sort of chanting and the, and the songs. Yeah. And you've got this community of people that all have the same belief and are there to support you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this, it's, you know, I was starting to see the value of it. There are yeah. a lot of old people there. There are a lot of old people in the choir. And I'm thinking, oh, when I get old, maybe I'll become Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just had that community vibe and you yeah. like, it's very, it was very, um, therapeutic in a way yeah and that's how you find community i mean yeah. <laughs> I, I had a similar experience so um some of my really close friends are jewish educators mm. liberal jews um and i started getting more involved in what they were doing and it completely changed my outlook and my life so mm. they implement a lot of i mean it's a lot of song singing a lot of mindfulness yeah. like you said so yeah. they have switched to that I guess they've moved away from orthodoxy mm. and moved more into the application of mindfulness and reflection. Yeah. And for me, something shifted when that when when I met them and when I was led into their community is that mm. I had the opportunity to say, "Oh my god, a I was so anti-religion before." Yeah. But now I'm like, "Oh my god, I understand." Yeah. I understand. Well, because we're only seeing one side of it in the media. Yeah. We're not seeing that the values that it brings to, that, that it really um, it sort of spreads, if you like, really strong values, but also the way it brings people together yeah. and, and, and people gives create them connection. That. Yes. So, I mean, that's what, this is mm. why a lot of people are going back to that. I mean, I know my mum now, as she's getting older, she's becoming more religious in the sense that she's becoming more involved with church yeah, communities yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Because that's where she's finding that. Friends she's she's useful, yeah. she's meeting yeah. people, she's socialising. Mm. Because outside of that, mm. I mean, for me, that's sport. Sport is my... Yes. If my social networks didn't revolve around my sporting networks, mm. I don't think I, I, I think would ever get time. I think sport's great for that. Absolutely yeah. great. And it's an outlet. Doing... It's a frustration outlet <laughs> as well. Exactly. But people accept you as you are. You know, if you are, you let yourself out on the field, you, you are yeah. whoever you are in that yeah. moment of heat... But then you're off that field and people still, mm. you know, they still accept you for who you are. You're good, you're bad, you're ugly. Yeah. But yeah. your, you know, combining point is that you both love this sport. Or yeah, that you all that's love right. This sport. And it's something. the same with religion. Mm. But I think it's, it is about finding that reflection time at the end of the day. It doesn't mm. matter how you're reflecting. It doesn't matter how you're connecting. You have to do that. And it has to be authentic to you. Yeah. Right? So it has to be something that, that you really like. That Not that you've taken from some influence or whatever that you think that that's the way they live their life. It has to be who you are. Yeah. And then you'll meet those genuine people that will connect. Yeah. What are you, um, what are you looking forward to in the future and what are you worried about? Worried Just about. to finish on. <laughs> Big questions. I love, I usually like the bad news first, so I'll go with what I'm worried about. I am worried about people completely disconnecting from themselves and each other. I don't like feeling like I am alone in this world mm. and we have a way of doing that to ourselves because we don't mm. we don't make the effort or we just don't have the conversations that need to be had. Yeah. Maybe because we're afraid of vulnerability. So I'm afraid of ending up in this world where we just talk to each other through a screen. So you're not alone and I'll I've always had this goal that one day I'm going to have this big house. Whoever wants to buy it for me, that's fine. <laughs> this big house is sort of on, on a bit of a mountain but with water views. I mean, you know, I don't want yeah. much, but, you know, I like it to be up a little bit on a hill but have some water. Yeah. Um, and I don't have my own children, but I always see it as a big house where anyone who's lonely yeah. can come and stay there. Yeah. So you can come to my house whenever you want. Thanks, mate. <laughs> we just won't tell my husband that I've just opened the house up. <laughs> To everyone to same. everyone yeah <laughs> but but we need more of that we need yeah. more of that and if people are feeling lonely instead of staying lonely they need to ring someone up and say i'm coming over yeah i'm coming over do that old-fashioned thing <laughs> go to people's houses yeah i mean you almost flinch now when you hear the doorbell go off yeah just, and it's, well, it's yeah. horrible yeah yeah no one it's well it's normally me getting <laughs> online shopping and getting in trouble you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's a postman here again. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> but, but back onto that, right. I think it's 
you know, mm. I think it's also this fear of just giving up on the hope in the world. And I think we live in this time now where everything's so negative. Yes. And it's so hard to, even if you're a positive person, there's a thing that you said years ago that has stuck with me and I, I've used it and <laughs> it's been a radical optimist. Ah, right? yes. Well, that actually came from Kevin Roberts, yeah. who, who was the CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi's. But he said, yeah, radical optimist is most people walk out and see a rose dying yeah. and just go, that rose is dying yeah. and keep walking. A radical optimist goes and tends to the rose and puts water on it and yeah. you know, lets it come back. And that is, honestly, that quote has completely yeah. coloured my yes. life from yeah. the moment that I heard you mention it all those yeah. years ago yeah. because that is who I am. Yeah, and I too. feel like a lot of our, yeah. you know, my generation are these people, but they're not given, you know, the platform to sort of show that a bit more without being, I think, judged on it or critiqued, depending on how they want to, you know, exhibit the quality. Um, so for me, it's, you know, I God, I hope we stay hopeful. This morning when I woke up, I was listening to a meditation um, by Oprah and Deepak Chopra the desire and destiny one and this was day four or something and she just summed it up for me she said that we we're in a state where we compete we want to finish first we want to do whatever it takes to be the best and what that causes is isolation and separation and a lot of frustration and ult and ultimately then we're operating from a place of deprivation and that's my god that's nails it <laughs> nails it that's what's happening to us the isolation is the key that's killing us all Absolutely. by doing this when we need to stop i keep saying we need to lower the expectations and stop trying to be the best at everything yeah because why can't we just try and be the best person instead? Because if, because we, I don't think we can just get everyone to stop wanting yep. to be the best. Because we're, it's like hardwired now. It's a journey, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a journey. It's cumulative, and I'm hoping that you know you get to the end down the track. And you asked me earlier what I hope and what I, you know, I hope down the track. And it's, you know, God, I hope we keep growing and keep being better people. And that. Either. And also, you know, in a way, because we're trying to do it too big. Yeah. We're trying to do lots of big things because if it's not big, no one will know about it, right? Yeah. Instead, we need to do lots of little small things. Yeah. You know, like like we said, bake some bloody cookies and take them to someone. <laughs> yeah. Do something small. Do a small act. Think smaller. Yeah. Bring it down a level. Bring it down a level. Like yeah. we're, we're making everything so emotionally extreme and this high involvement yeah we need to bring it all back down and just go i'm just going to work today i'm yeah. just going to do the job hopefully and instead of thinking about all the politics that are going on at work or, or what we need to achieve or who needs to achieve this and i want to get this and this person wants to get that instead of thinking like that think who should i have lunch with today and where should we go yeah Make that a priority. And pick that person wisely. Yes. but And don't talk about work. Yeah. Make it a rule. All right. No conversation on work. Yeah. Let's talk. But talk. Pick something else to talk about that's going to bring you out of judging and being in that negative space. Yeah. Because if we're all trying to be the best, well, then we, we feel like we can't unless we bring everyone else down a bit. Because yeah. we're already starting from, we don't feel like... It's like a tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, we're, we also feel like we're nowhere near them. If, if, if we, you don't have to bring people down if you feel like you're up there. If you, if you try and get out of that place where we're sort of like hating everyone. Yeah. We're judging everyone. Instead, if you just try and look at, find some good things, you know. Lift each other up. Lift each other up. I, you know, I've got this friend of mine and... I say, you know, I always want to try and get to those amazing yoga classes at 7.30 in the morning, but the reality is I'm so knackered by the end of the day. Yeah. I need every second counts. You know, yeah. every snooze you press is yeah. a valuable moment of the day. Yeah. And we've started motivating each other. Yeah. And having people that do force you to be a better version of yourself or, yeah. 
you know, give you the push. Sometimes you need someone to be that person that gives you a push. Exactly. You need people. But I, let's start changing the language. Yeah. Let's never say better version of yourself for a start. Yeah. Because we're, you're already a great version of yourself, right? You're an amazing version of yourself. You don't have to be better. Like everyone keeps feeling like we all need to be better. We all need to be better. No, no, no. We need to look at the strengths we've already got. The strengths we've got, the achievements we've already done, the value you're already adding to the world is phenomenal, right? You, you come from a good place. You offer help, help up to everyone. You're already doing that. You've got to walk around knowing that instead of going, how can I be better? How can I be better? Yeah. You know, pull it back. See, see where we really are, what we've really achieved already. And then go, you know what? I've achieved enough that I can, I can just dance for a week. For, yeah. You know, <laughs> just relax. I oh, can just. That's so poignant. Oh, my God. Throw it off your shoulder. Shake it. Shake it off. <laughs> like Taylor said. Shake it off. It's true. I mean, it's Shake just... it off. <laughs> the way I think the world works is it, it comes and tells you anyhow. Yeah. It comes to you and it tells you what's going to happen today or, you know. Yeah. Who's going to come into your life and why they're going to come into your life. And that that's only going to happen if you stop. Yeah. So that's our message. We're going to end on that. We all need to stop just a little perfect. bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Elle. Thank you. <laughs>